If you need a laugh, here on your behalf It's Batmates, are we fighting crime? Or just wasting time? It's Batmates, lunch, boom, crash, kapow Stream a download, holy cow You can stop listening now to Batmates Because we're Batmates Hello and welcome to Batmates, your number one resource for useless Batman knowledge. My name is Becca, and I am so hungry I could literally eat a sweater right now. My name is Josh, and I didn't come up with an intro for this episode. <laughs> good one. Thanks. That's a good one. That's probably maybe your best yet. <laughs> uh, so welcome to Batmates. We are a Batman podcast that mostly talks about villains, mostly talks about the Silver Age, um, and we're an engaged couple, which yeah. is why we're Batmates. Um, so today we are going to talk about one that you might have heard of if you are a pretty dedicated Bat fan, uh, Killer Moth, who's appeared throughout the continuity, gold, silver, bronze age, dark age, modern age, new 52, rebirth, a bazillion TV shows. Yeah, he's all over the DC continuity. Yeah, this, the research for this episode took us a pretty long time. We're also going to go over uh, Barbara Gordon in this episode in a return of a segment from a few episodes ago. Yeah. Bat Family Matters. Bat Family Matters. Because the comic that we're doing, uh, at, while it's the first Silver Age appearance of Killer Moth, is also the first ever appearance of Barbara Gordon. Mm-hmm. She had never appeared, even as like a background character, as like, oh, yeah, Jim Gordon's got a daughter. I think blah, Jim blah, blah. Gordon's wife in the Golden Age was called Barbara, but yeah. this Barbara Gordon had never shown up. No, before. And I'm going to go over that in Bat Family Matters okay, at I'll the give, end of the episode. I'll give you plenty of time to talk about that. Nice. All right, so should we start with news? Uh, yeah, let's start with news. All right, I've got a couple of like mini stories, nothing crazy happened this week um i think the biggest story in like the batman universe is that Zack snyder's justice league aka the snyder cut will release on hbo max on march 18th so this will be his recut it's no longer going to be like a four-part miniseries it's just going to be released in one like four, four hour, hour long movie, movie. oh yeah. geez so get your popcorn uh take your bathroom breaks <laughs> snuggle up with somebody you love and get ready to watch uh, something that has been promised to be a whole lot different than the experience that we all saw all those years ago. So hopefully, hopefully, I wonder um, if it will actually be better. I don't know. I, Do you think that the first one was bad because of like DC execs? I think I personally didn't enjoy the Justice League movie for a couple of reasons. Um, it was really easy to see like the mismatch in styles between Snyder's directing and Joss Whedon's directing mm. um, because of like, I don't even know if what the basis of this was, but like whether it was like the director who Henry Cavill was currently working with was like feeling spiteful. The whole like, you know, CGI upper lip thing, CGIing out his mustache. Yeah. Was so there, weird and so noticeable. That whole production was sort of in like a development hell for a while. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it has a lot of problems that like the Wonder Woman 84 had where it's just like, a lot of this is kind of stupid. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I don't quite understand. Do you think like a cut could fix those problems? I don't I don't really know enough about like the editing process and like mm. what gets left on the cutting room floor. Um, I know they're doing like reshoots, so there is like new material. 
Um, we might, I'm previewing for our listeners, we might have a little bit of like a special surprise the week after that movie comes out. Not sure yet. We'll, we'll confirm closer to the date. Don't tease um, something big. It won't be that It's big. not going to be big. It's going to be a, a little change of format for one episode. Um, it'll be a, it won't be a, a Silver Age review week. It'll be a Justice League week. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, eh, are you excited? Not really. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I didn't like Batman v Superman, and I think that was Snyder's final cut. Although there was like a director's cut of that, which I we watched the director's cut. Oh, did we? That's what we watched, and I didn't like that. No. Okay. <laughs> Neither of us did. Although it did have Patrick Leahy in it. He got blown up. Oh in yeah. That, <laughs> in that in that meeting. <laughs> it was wild. Yep. Um, For right. more about Patrick Leahy, listen to our previous episode. Yeah. Little sidebar: Patrick Leahy uh, was. Went to the, the hospital uh, a couple weeks ago, but he's fine. He didn't stay very long. Just a little out of an abundance of caution because he's like, you know, 90 trillion years old. <laughs> but he's fine. He's resting at home. He's good. <laughs> so all our love to you, Senator Leahy from Vermont. Yes. Um, bat fan and U.S. Senator. <laughs> uh, okay. Next little piece nugget of news. Um, Titans season three has cast uh, Jay Lycurgo as Tim Drake. Oh, this um, is the uh, anime about big guys who ruin a city? No, you're thinking of Attack on Titan. Oh, oh, oh. No, this is the HBO Max show that's not, don't call them teens. Okay. It's about the Titans. Um, okay, full disclosure, I was sick this week, so I spent a lot of time on my couch binge watching season one of Titans. Um, and here is my brief spoiler-free review. Um, if you like Teen Titans, you should give it a watch. It, of course, it's extremely different. This one is like for adults. It's very grim, dark, edgy. Um, the fight, like the editing and like the fight choreography very much reminds me of like a Zack Snyder production, although he has nothing to do with this TV show. But just like the way that like they just go really full out on the violence is just over the top. So if that's your jam, watch it. Um, if you like sort of like weird little like hidden DC Easter eggs, if that's your jam, watch it. Um, it's, it's We've also not, been watching Teen Titans, too. We've also been watching Teen Titans. The, the animated series. But no, I'm talking about regular Titans. Okay. It's not bad. I don't love... But it's love, not good either. I, I cringe a lot, but I also laugh a lot. Okay. <laughs> so if that sounds like something that you would enjoy... Give it a watch. It's not terrible, but it's <laughs> what also a glowing review. It's also not brilliant. It's not like okay. When I was watching the Watchmen television series back in 2019, I was glued to my screen every episode. I spent every single second between episodes just waiting for the next episode to arrive and looking at like theories online. Titans. I feel like if it was like week to week, I wouldn't even bother. But the fact that I can like sit down and binge it while like putting a heating pad on my tummy, I'm like, all right, it's fine. <laughs> I'll just this this might as well happen. <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, okay. Oh, and um, so yeah, Jay Lee Cargo will join the cast as Tim Drake. Uh, of course, the show already has Dick Grayson and uh, also Jason Todd. The two Robins. Yeah, the two Robins. 
So maybe season four we'll get old Damien. Wouldn't that be cute? Ooh. Ooh. I love Damien. Um, and also Dick Grayson's character in this is very like, he tries, he's like, um, so cool, but he's like also very just like fatherly. Like he keeps like hugging teenagers and telling them that he loves them. It's like very, <laughs> but he's like, I'm a badass. How old is he? Is he like in his 20s? It's extremely hard to tell. Okay. Because, <laughs> okay, the actor looks... 20. Okay. <laughs> but they keep like flashing back to like years ago he was Robin and then he had this whole relationship with like uh with Dove and then uh, I don't know. So and he's like he's like a detective in Detroit and he's like I left the Robin thing behind me like a year ago and yet he's like very much like an adult and like father figure. Yeah, to these I mean, children. I always thought that he he became Nightwing at like 18, 18, 19. Yeah, he seems like he's in his very early twenties, but he acts like he's like thirty five. In <laughs> fact, it's really funny when he's in the scenes with like the other detectives, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm like gonna solve this case," and it's like, "Bruh, you look like you got lost on like a school trip to the police station." <laughs> um. So yeah, it's not bad. Anyway, J. Lake Cargo. Um. If you recognize that name, which you probably don't, because why would you? He also is appearing in The Batman. He was in the trailer for The Batman as, like, one of the, just, like, one of the, like, boys in the gang. Interesting. Yeah. That's weird. He's so the one who's wearing, him. like, half, like, white makeup, and then the rest of the half is just his regular face. So so he's in, like, two different DC properties as different characters? Yeah. Huh. Really weird. Interesting. But, cool. Good for him. Get that money. Yeah. Not unheard of. Yeah. Um, and then last, did you want to talk a little bit about Future State? Yeah. We talked about Future State a couple of weeks ago when, like, the comics first dropped. Uh, we talked about some of the, like, first two weeks of issues that we had picked up. And there's a couple other ones that we picked up since then. Mm -hmm. um, one of them being Batman Superman, which just came out this past week when we are recording it. Mm -hmm. It'll actually be like two weeks ago when the episode drops. But um, that one was honestly, I think, one of the best ones that we read so far. It's a really cool Batman Superman team up story uh, where like Superman sees something happening in Metropolis, tracks it to Gotham, and then meets up with Batman. And it's it's also, it's set at the beginning of all the things that are happening in Future State. Mm -hmm. So it's like right when the the magistrate security force is taking over Gotham as like an extra police force. It's, mm -hmm. it's before all the other stuff that's happened so far in the Future State where like Batman's presumed dead and, and all this other stuff has happened. So that one I thought was really cool. I think you should definitely give it a read because I don't think you've read it yet. I haven't. It's okay. sitting on the table, but I will read it. Okay. Uh, the other one we picked up was Catwoman, which I thought was cool. I love that one. It's like a train heist. It is. If you like Snowpiercer, whether the movie or the comic or I guess the new show that's out, give that one a read because it's got a very like Snowpiercer vibe to it. Yeah. Of like, ah, evil corporation on a train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's pretty neat. Um, there was... Second issues to Dark Detective and Next Batman. I don't have a whole lot to say about those. They sort of continue in the same vein. Although uh, it is worth noting that the uh, the Next Batman comic that came out, uh, the number two, doesn't have the Arkham Knight storyline in yeah. it. That won't happen until I think next the next next Batman I issue. Want more. I know it's such a good story. It's really good. Um, and then also Nightwing. Uh, we get to see what Nightwing's doing during all this. Yeah, he, he he's taking of... a shower. <laughs> he takes a shower in the basement of Arkham Asylum. Yeah, because he's living there. Yeah, for I don't some think reason. a whole lot happens in that one. No, there's kind of starting it. Yeah, that's a good one though. I like him. Yep, I loved it. It's interesting to see how these sort of interplay. Although it is 
kind of confusing that they're all set at different time periods. Mm-hmm. They don't all happen at once. And they're not, yeah. they're not like very clearly labeled as to like what year or, or even like, you know, when in the, when in the future state stuff they happen. Yeah. I even think, does this happen in, um, You have to use context clues. In Dark Detective, he's like, I died two years ago. And it's like, has have two years taken place since the first issue and the second one? I mean, this month it's felt like two years, but is that real? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I might have missed that line. Yeah. I, okay. I think it was in Dark Detective. I can't yep. be sure. That's really all I had to say about Future State. Just wanted to give a quick update uh, which ones you should pick up. Definitely pick up the Batman Superman one. You might also want to pick up the Catwoman one because I thought that one was pretty cool. It's very good. I like Dick Grayson. Yeah? Yeah. Who's your favorite Robin? Have we talked about this? Yes, we have talked about this. <sighs> Dick Grayson is my favorite Robin. Yeah. He's awesome. He is. He's really He's really cool. <laughs> what, a, what a great guy. We love him. <laughs> Okay. This is a Dick Grayson stand podcast now. All right. Uh, Do we want to move into Rogue Roundup? Yeah, Rogue Roundup. Round those boys up. <laughs> All right. So today we're talking about Killer Moth. Uh, real name, Drury Walker. He's really interesting, especially in the Golden Age. He began as sort of a dark mirror to Batman. So in prison, he became really obsessed with reading about uh, the Caped Crusaders' escapades. Um, and once he gained his freedom... This is actually kind of I, coincidentally, because obviously he didn't know Batman's alter ego. But once he gained his freedom, he started pretending that he was a millionaire, millionaire philanthropist as well, uh, named Cameron Von Clear. And by night, he would don his costume of Killer Moth, swearing to, quote, mean to the underworld what Batman has meant to the world of law and order. So he does this by ripping off Batman at every single turn that he possibly can, because he sees the formula, he sees that it works. So he starts giving mobsters moth signals, which they can use to summon him. And if he comes and helps them out with their heist, he gets a cut of the loot, which I think is great. <laughs> Being like, a, I guess that's sort of a mercenary, like hero or killer for hire. But you're just sort of like a, like yeah, I'll help you with my cool costume and my cool gadgets. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's like a hired gun, but you're like the enforcer. Yeah, a hired supervillain. Yeah, I love it. Um, he also created a moth mobile, hid in a moth cave, and used a uses a utility belt. <laughs> so if Batman ever wanted to uh, sue someone for copyright infringement, yeah, Mothman would be the guy. Gimmick infringement, right there. Uh, so after he is captured for the first time, his next release from prison, he decides to kidnap Bruce Wayne, and then hold on. Okay. Hires a plastic surgeon to alter his features so he can take Bruce Wayne's face. Oh, this sounds familiar. Like a face-off situation. This sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Are you talking about like Two-Face? I'm talking about Hush. Oh. Hush does the same thing where he he, like makes himself look like Bruce Wayne. Does he? Yeah. I haven't read Hush in a long time. (laughs) I forgot. I forgot that plot point. All I know is he's not the Riddler. (laughs) Um, interesting. I hadn't made that connection. Mm. Well, yeah, plastic surgery. Apparently it's magic. (laughs) It can make you look like a different person. So here's the funniest thing is he uses plastic surgery to look like Bruce Wayne. Uh And then he goes to Wayne Manor and Dick falls for it. He's like, oh, hey, Bruce, what's up? He's like, oh, you, obviously. And he's like, remember how we're Batman and Robin? So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Killer Moth then gets to learn all of Batman's secrets and learns like, oh, cool, Batman or Bruce Wayne is Batman and all these like other stuff that I now know. So to maintain the status quo, at the end of this adventure, uh, 
Mothman. Mothman. Killer Moth. Killer Moth. You know what? I honestly, in my notes, called him Mothman multiple times. Yes. It's just like... It's Famed the- West Virginia cryptid and Batman villain Mothman. You think that's why they didn't go with it? Because there's all these, so many of these Silver Age villains, or even Golden Age villains, is like, you know, Blank Man, Cat Man, Polka Dot Man, mm-hmm. Batman. Um, I believe the Mothman sightings were after, would have been after the Golden Age. They were around like the 60s, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So no. Okay. They just thought it was cool. Killer Moth. Okay. Which is... Who's ever been killed by a moth? <laughs> now I say that, and I'm gonna get murdered by a moth. It's gonna like fly into my car while I'm driving. And we're gonna something. get we're gonna e- gonna get emails at Batmates Podcast all about killer moths. at gmail.com all about like you know oh well this moth is actually venomous or th- or you know some people are allergic to moths. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's a thing. I'm sure that, that we're, people you know are gonna what? email us about. I'm disappointed in our listeners. They haven't been doing any pedantic corrections. They and should be. I welcome it unless you're my dad. Do not email us if you are my dad. <laughs> Anybody else is free to email us at batmatespodcast at gmail.com with pedantic corrections. Please. We want to know who you are. Um, okay. Sorry. Anyway. So uh, he... Okay. So he gets gunned down at the end of this adventure. Did I not say that? God. Mothman gets a shot at the end of this uh, adventure where he f- finds out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Um, he gets shot in the head uh, and his face gets all messed up so the plastic surgery doesn't stay with him um and he also <laughs> gets brain damage which uh causes amnesia and how causes him to forget oh, who he is how convenient forget that bruce wayne is batman how so that's convenient. convenient so on his next outing which we're going to talk about in this comic so i won't get too much into detail um he is humiliated when he's taken down by barbara gordon on her very first day on the job <laughs> so in his next return seeking revenge he solely goes after batgirl uh, and this adventure includes some wild things. We should probably actually read this if it's in the Silver Age. Um, it includes riding on mechanical moths and an attempt to hijack the USS Constitution, a.k.a. Old Ironsides, one of the oldest ships in the U.S. Navy. <laughs> commissioned in, like, 1793 or whatever. Wait, did this take place in the late 70s? Or, the, or, I mean, in the late 60s or the 70s? I think I thought it was 77. Oh, was okay. that one. Okay. Is that Bronze Age? Uh, yeah, that's Bronze Age. Very Silver Age kind of storyline, though, wouldn't yeah. you say? I mean, there's some of that stuff happened in the Bronze Age. I'm like, going to steal old Ironsides. That, like, uh, Calendar Man return that we read about happened in the Bronze Age, yeah, too. Yeah, where he dressed up as all the different, like, gods. Yeah. That was so cool. <laughs> I love it. I love Calendar Man. Um, okay. You want to talk about Booster Gold because he's your favorite? Sure. Do you remember when this storyline happened? 2008. Okay. So this is post-crisis. Uh, and this is like a Booster Gold story that he shows up in that also involves Batman, where uh, a future thief hires Killer Moth to steal something from the past. And in stopping Killer Moth, Batman like breaks a time travel device, which ends up screwing up the timeline, uh, which like means that his parents are never killed and Batman never becomes Batman, which throws everything off. Mm -hmm. And so Booster Gold decides that like in order to fix things, uh, Killer Moth has to get away with a crime. So he dresses up as Killer Moth and defeats Batman But he does too good a job and Mm. also screws up the timeline because Killer Moth is like, uh, he he gets regarded as this like great criminal uh, and it leads to his like rise in power and Batman's fall in power in Gotham. (laughs) So he goes back to fix it again and just like helps uh, 
Killer Moth escape, instead of, like, defeating Batman and Robin, he helps him escape by delaying Batman and Robin by, like, making Barbara Gordon late to the the, the heist or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what happens. Booster Gold's always messing stuff up with time. Oh, yeah. Totally. It's, it's kind of weird. He They almost redo that storyline in Rebirth, but, like, not, not with, like, Killer Moth really involved. But Booster does go back in time and saves Batman's parents... Uh, showing Bruce that, like, the world would actually be worse if he wasn't Batman. And then to fix it, he has to go back in time and kill Batman's parents. Like, it's awful. <laughs> Or make it so that Batman's parents still get killed. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't personally kill them. Yeah. It wasn't, a, in my opinion, didn't really like that storyline too much. Yeah, Booster's a weird character. I, although, you know, Flashpoint did it too, where they, like, saved, his par- saved Bruce's parents but killed Bruce... And that led to, like, Thomas Wayne becoming Batman. Yeah. There's a lot of things. Like, when you're playing around with time travel, especially, like, within the Batman mythos, that's the the one, like, you know, anchor point that you're gonna, you're gonna go to. Or Barry's mom getting killed. Yeah. That's the other one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the other main one. Uh, cool. So, after that, uh, Killer Moth sold his soul to the demon lord, Neron. <laughs> Just a regular Tuesday afternoon. In the DC universe. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, and he wished to be feared instead of laughed at. So he is then turned into a carnivorous monster moth and calls himself Caraxes? Charaxis? I'm going to go with Charaxis. <laughs> uh, he's actually later killed when he is ripped in half by Superboy Prime. So good Ooh, on him. Ooh, jeez. Yeah. Um, in New 52, he returns as the human, Drury Walker, and mostly becomes a Green Arrow villain. Uh, he uses just the title Moth, drops the killer part, um, but he uses a compression gun, which he calls a stinger. Hmm. Which, like, I don't know, shouldn't he call himself, like, Wasp then? But then I guess they're running into copyrights from D- from uh, Marvel. Oh, Yeah. Uh, and then he was in the Batman television show in an unaired episode, which the is very, television yes, show? the 66 okay. television show, which very, very much mirrors the comic we're about to read. Um, and it's interesting. It was kind of like a lost episode. Yeah. It was, I was on, gonna, like some DVD features. I was actually going to talk about this. This okay. is because this is the, the, also the first appearance of Barbara Gordon, yeah. uh, in the television show technically. Okay. But it's a, yeah, it's an unaired pilot that was shown to ABC execs. Mm, I um, like it. Do you want me to, like, talk about it later, or do you want to talk about it now? Let's talk about it later. Okay, because we watched it. It's, like, seven, seven and a half minutes. You can find it on YouTube if you look for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Becca said, it was included on, like, uh, box set DVDs as, like, a recovered from the archives type thing. Yeah. Um, he appears in quite a lot of uh, DC animated shows throughout the 2000s, um, including The Batman, Brave and the Bold... Uh, Teen Titans Go, and also DC Superhero Girls, where he is a female, nonverbal mutant. <laughs> Although, it still said he's voiced by Phil Lamar, so maybe I'll go back and see, like, what what do you mean voiced by? <laughs> he probably just makes, like, noises. Um, and then the kind of uh, animated one that I wanted to highlight was he's in an episode of Teen Titans, which we have been watching on HBO Max, um, where he blackmails Robin into taking his daughter Kitten to the prom. It's a great episode. (laughs) It's a really good episode. Um, He shows up a couple more times throughout the series, um, and he and his daughter become members of the Brotherhood of Evil. Mm. So he's an interesting little Teen Titans villain. Yeah, it's also worth noting in the Teen Titans television show that uh, he births like these moths that uh, listen to his command. Um, but they turn into like pupas or whatever, mm-hmm. and Starfire ends up taking one as a pet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very cute. It is. Yeah. 
yeah, so that's Killer Moth, Drury Walker. And we will now chat a little bit about his very first appearance. Yeah. yeah. No, his very first appearance in the Silver his Age. His very first appearance in the Silver Age. Yeah. Uh, and actually, this isn't his only very first appearance in the Silver Age. He did show up in a Justice League comic before this, but it wasn't him. It was just his suit, which was reanimated by, I think it was demons. Okay. Uh, sure. And goes and commits crimes. And Batman realizes as he's fighting the suit that it's, like, empty. Okay. But it's not, like, it kill, it's Killer Moth, but it's not the man inside the suit Killer Moth. Okay. <laughs> so, like, when he touches it, it just goes flat? Uh, like, how's that work? I think he, like, throws it against a wall and it sort of, like, crumples or whatever. Oh. It's like, that's not a person. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wild. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. So we're going to take a look at Detective Comics number 359, mm-hmm. which is from January 1967. The writer of this issue, uh, Batman Million Dollar Debut of Batgirl. Uh, the writer was Gardner Fox. The penciler was Carmine Infantino. The inker was Sid Green. And the letter was Gaspar Saladino. Yep. Uh, this was, had a cover date January 1967. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also, so you said it's the million dollar, what is it called? The million, the million dollar? dollar debut of Batgirl. We also see on the cover, meet the new Batgirl. Uh, this person, so the first page, uh, if you're reading like, uh, the updated version of it, like in, in one of the, in the reprints or whatever, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have this stuff, but in the original comic, it has an ad for a massive slot car set by a company called Revel. It's four lanes wide. It's, it's literally like wider than the children that are in the ad. (laughs) And the advertisement that it tells you that the one that's shown is 25 feet of track Damn. if you set it up as a four lane you can set it up as a two lane with 50 feet of track i guess it breaks in two or something yeah and it led me to, to wonder like who in the world has enough room for something this big in their house little bruce wayne's of the world it would take up like an entire basement or living room you'd have to move everything out of the way in order to play with it yeah probably or put it outside which i'm sure is not good for it because it's an electric slot car set yeah but anyway, I just wanted to touch on that. There's another ad in here that I want to talk about that's like really, really interesting. Okay. Uh, but the comic opens up on Barbara Gordon, librarian and daughter of police commissioner Gordon, putting the finishing touches on her costume for the policeman's masquerade ball. I love a woman who sews. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and this, I've noticed, is before she made the costume reversible and like parts of the outfit she was already wearing, which we saw in uh, the last comic that we read that had her in it. Yeah, the one that we did with Ca- uh, Catwoman. Catwoman. Yeah, if you want to go back yeah. to the Catwoman episode, we also talk about Barbara Gordon in that. Yeah, that's a good episode. You still listen to it. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay, yeah. So she's making her, her Batgirl costume. Uh, she, uh, let's see. We, it's the exact same origin as Batwoman, which I mm-hmm. found interesting. Like, she's going to a costume party. Yeah. Uh, were masquerades super popular in the 1950s and 60s? I mean, like, society just, balls. Is yeah. it just a convenient, like, plot device for them to get these people wearing costumes? Costume parties. I mean, yeah. You know what? Costume parties did used to be, like, a, 
like a big thing that like rich people did. Okay. Like I know I was reading a little bit about like when I watched Mank, I was reading a little bit about how Marion Davies would throw these like elaborate costume parties. Just like anytime she wanted to get her friends together, she'd be like, yeah, everybody come on over for dinner. But like it's circus themed. <laughs> so it's just like a thing that rich people you know, did. That's, something, that's actually something that um, my friend group tries to do when we get together, like my high school friend group. When, yeah. we, tr- when we get together for Christmas, we try to get a theme together. <laughs> yeah. Of- what was the last one? Uh, like I think it was middle school. Middle school like, dance. Yeah, dress dress like you're going to a middle school dance. And then we only listened to songs from like 2004 to 2007. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good party. It shout was out, a good Shout party. out to Alexis. <laughs> Thank you, my friend Alexis. <laughs> she throws good parties. Uh, yeah. Um, she says that this Batgirl costume really does things for her, which I guess is... <laughs> It's just her way of saying, like, hey, this makes me look hot. It does. She's because, good. like, in contrast to her, uh, you know, unassuming librarian persona. Yeah. Um, and she remarks about how surprised everyone will be when she unmasks at the end of the party. Um, she then drives to the ball while listing her accomplishments to herself, uh, which is that she has a PhD, she graduated summa cum laude, and she's a brown belt in judo. I'm about to lose every listener that we have, if any of them are librarians. Why is that? Okay. I don't understand why you need to have a PhD to be a librarian. Yeah, and I, I didn't understand that either, I, honestly. At first I was like, you know, no shade to Barbara, but a PhD and she's working at a head librarian. I was like, can you even get a PhD in librarian studies? And apparently, yes, you can. Mm. I looked it up and that is what her PhD is in, is librarian <laughs> studies. Oh, wow. Um, I don't, I just don't understand why you would need like a higher degree to even be like Help a head librarian. Check out books. Yeah, because like, uh, you know the alphabet and you know how the Dewey Decimal System works. And, like, everything else, we kind of just have, like, computers for now. Well, we have computers for now. I guess so. And, I don't know, I tried reading the Wikipedia article on, like, all the different things that go into being a librarian and why it's, like, you know, a very dedicated field. But I I just think a PhD makes her a bit overqualified (laughs) to be a librarian. Maybe it's, like, a fancy upscale library. So what? I don't know. It's it helps it helped her secure the job out of all the candidates. I guess. I don't but, know what she gets paid. Who knows what she gets paid? In nineteen sixty, uh, I don't know, a buck fifty, <laughs> buck fifty an hour. With a PhD? No way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, she's on her way to the party, and not far ahead, Bruce Way Rain is driving his limousine and is incapacitated by killer moths goons. I thought these were monkeys at first. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, look at like the shape of the head. It's like a little monkey. Okay, because well, they're wearing helmets yeah. that are supposed to make them look like moths. They're wearing helmets and they're crouched down, which is why I was like, monkeys? <laughs> uh, they have cocoon guns, yes. which like spray a sticky web around Bruce Wayne's uh, limousine to stop him in his tracks. Disgusting. <laughs> Barbara watches as they pull Bruce out and begin attacking him. Thinking fast, she jumps into action, disguising her voice and telling Mr. Wayne to run. Yes. Uh, I hate the like little slide kick that she does in this fight scene. Um, like what, where she's on the ground. Yeah, where she like slides in and like kicks them, upward? but like upwards. And I, I feel like we've seen Robin do that in other comics like this. I thought judo was all about throwing people. Mm. I didn't, I didn't understand this move at all. Okay, I think it's weird. Uh, Bruce, Bruce takes her advice, runs away to change into his Batman costume. 
while Babs kicks some serious butt. Yeah, she does a good job. She uh, throws people in the next panel. Yeah, however, swinging down from the trees on wires, Killer Moth, the Killer Moth, grabs her and throws her into the sticky cocoon that is around the limousine, telling her that he doesn't cotton to her costume because it resembles his old foe too much. I love this. Like, Killer Moth calls Barbara derivative. <laughs> He's like, first of all, your costume sucks. And second of all, it's not even original. <laughs> Get your own thing, girl. Uh, come over here into my corner. It's Josh's fact corner. Yay! Uh, so cotton too is a phrase that comes from the textile industry where cotton blends well with other fibers when making cloth. So saying that you don't cotton with something seems it means to say that you don't mix well with something. You don't gel with it. Exactly, pretty much. Uh, second part of this uh, is that in these panels, Killer Moth is referred to as the lethal lepidopteron. Ooh, you went ahead and practiced pronouncing it. Which is uh, an insect which has four wings covered in scales. Uh, it basically just includes butterflies and moths. But this is all to say that uh, the comic is finding another way of saying killer moth. Yeah. It's almost like when we write the um, the descriptions for these episodes and, and we, we think we think about like, oh, how can we say this in a different way? We have to look up like synonyms that yeah. have the same letter. They actually had to like pull a physical like thesaurus out of the bookshelf and be like, uh. Butterfly. Lethodopteron. There we go. What starts with L? Lethal. Great. Got it. Killer. Good job. Good job, Gardner. Just a second. (laughs) You got it. Uh, Okay. So with Barbara uh, Batgirl incapacitated, Batman shows up, delivers a blow to Killer Moth, uh, but Killer Moth is able to fly up on his wire, escaping, and Batman can't follow him for reasons? He's, you know... He's taken care of. He says he can't follow him. And also, like, all the all the goons get away, we're, we're led, led to assume, <laughs> I think. Um, anyway. Um, I think he was left between freeing Barbara and going after Killer Moth. He couldn't do both, and he, so he decided to free Barbara. Yeah, so he frees Barbara. Um, also, I wanted to mention, this is the second ad that I wanted to talk about. Okay. On the page after this... Uh, there's an ad for a toy called Captain Action, Ooh. the nine-in-one superhero, Ooh. Um, which was created by the same toy designer as uh, the guy who made G.I. Joe. Um, this is a doll. It's mm-hmm. a doll that has uh, different like faces and arms and clothes that you can put on it to okay. make him look like other superhero, like look like different superheroes. Like the one time Killer Moth did that. The, the advertising... <laughs> The advertisement says that he can change into Sergeant Fury, Batman, Superman, Aquaman, Lone Ranger, Flash Gordon, The Phantom, Steve Canyon, and Captain America. Hmm. So we got some DC and some Marvel characters in there that he can change into. Interesting. That's uh, weird that they would like cross. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was just that the toy like company that. that made him like licensed those characters from DC and mm-hmm. also licensed them from Marvel. And so there wasn't any like conflict of contracts because they were doing it for like, you know, license to us mm-hmm. that way. Does he have like different accessories or is it just like the faces? Um, it So it's like, you know, you get Batman's cape and cowl and like his clothes or whatever, and you can buy them separately too. So you, you buy like one action figure and he gets 
changeable faces and also changeable clothes. Mm. It's a doll for all intents and purposes. Just like GI Joe, this is this is like a GI Joe or a Barbie for superheroes. Yeah, <laughs> you can like change up to look like the one that you want it to. There was a second wave of these that featured Spider Man and Green Hornet. Along with like Tonto from Lone Ranger mm-hmm. and like a couple others. I think I saw an Iron Man one, although I don't know if he was part of the second wave or like, I think they might have done a third wave too. There was also an action boy that Ooh. existed, uh, which could turn into Robin yeah. and a couple other like younger super. Robin, Aqualad, Speedy. <laughs> I, that, that's, don't take that for truth. Becca doesn't no, know. No, I'm guessing. <laughs> She's just guessing. Um, he also, Captain Action got his own comic line and was, was revived in the late nineties. Uh, they made like another wave of him in the late nineties mm-hmm. and they made a card game for him in 2016. Oh, we should play it. <laughs> Were you uh, like an action figure kid? No, you know what? I didn't really have that many action figures as a child. Yeah. And, and I think most of the action figures that I did have came from like Happy Meals. Yeah. Like I didn't really go out and want to buy G.I. Joe's. Mm-hmm. Um, I was more of like a Legos and uh, like RC car trucks kind of kid. Yeah. My brother had a ton of action figures. Really? And probably, I don't know if my parents threw them away when they moved, but maybe still has them somewhere. Oh, yeah. He had like... Just all kinds of different, the ones that are coming to mind, I know he had like every Power Ranger, um, he had this really cool, like half changing, uh, like Venom, uh, action figure that was like gigantic and spooky. And if you like looked inside like the little face, you could see like Eddie Brock's like face a little bit because like the Venom mouth was like extending outwards. So it was like mid transformation, you see like some of his skin. Yeah. That was really cool. And we had a bunch of like Spider-Man. I want to say we had a Batman, but I don't really remember. Hmm. I don't know. I just know that he had a ton of action figures. Yeah. I don't, I mean, my brother's quite a bit older than me, so I don't quite remember him playing with them, but I just remember them being like displayed. Oh, you know what I had a lot of that not action figures? Hot Wheels. I I had a lot of Hot Wheels and Matchbox cars too. Um, I don't know. I guess I was more into like mechanical stuff than I was into like dolls. Imagination. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I saw I saw the like uh, the advertisements for the action figures and I knew I think even as a kid, like I knew that all the stuff that you see on those commercials, like them like busting through walls and stuff that was like made for the commercial. And, yeah. and when you bought the toy, you wouldn't get all that stuff. <laughs> Josh saw through your advertising. Exactly. Toys. He wasn't going to take it. I was a big, uh, like, I liked Barbies, like Polly Pocket. Yeah. But I would, like, come up with these storylines, but it always just ended up with them, like, kissing. <laughs> that was me as a kid. <laughs> anyway, okay. I, was, I was curious. Yeah, yeah. Back to the comic. Um, Batgirl explains to Batman what happened uh, with Bruce Wayne being attacked. Um, as he breaks her free from the webbing, Batman assures her that he'll take care of Bruce Wayne. But asks who she is, to which she coyly suggests that they trade secret identities, mm. and Batman denies the request. What a strange thing to ask a costumed hero who has saved you. They're yeah. like, okay, well, who are you? Exactly. You gotta tell me. I mean, it's it's kind of in line for, like, what Batman is in, in the Silver Age. Uh, you know, he doesn't want anybody kind of stepping on his, his gimmick. I guess. Um, but yeah, Interesting. Uh, The next morning, over breakfast, Bruce explains to Dick that Mothman sent a letter, and it wasn't that Mothman had deduced the Masked Manhunter's identity. Killer Moth. Did I say Mothman? You said Mothman twice. Damn it. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) 
Uh, it wasn't that uh, Killer Moth had deduced the Masked Manhunter's identity, but is running a protection racket to extort him. Uh, he wants $100,000 from Bruce Wayne, or else he gets it for real this time. Okay, here's my question, though. Okay. Because, okay, who was Killer Moth going to, like, go to for a ransom if he was successful with the kidnapping of Bruce Wayne? Was Alfred going to pay it? Was Lucius Fox going to pay it? Who has access to, like... Bruce Wayne's bank numbers if he's locked away. I don't know if the if it was that they were going to kidnap him. I think they were just going to like rough him up. Like they were going to beat him up and then be like, you know, if you don't if you don't pay us, we'll do it again. We'll mm-hmm. beat you up again, you know, yeah. or kill you. I guess. Which they try to do later in the comic. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so after some visits with Gotham's wealthiest uh members, uh, Batman and Robin confirm their suspicion that Killer Moth has targeted more people with this protection racket scheme. Uh, ten people, to be precise, each for $100,000, which makes Killer Moth a millionaire himself. Yeah. <laughs> Alongside millionaire Bruce Wayne. Cameron Von Creer of the Golden Age. Mm. Mm. Uh, Bruce and Alf- uh, Bruce. Bruce has Alfred drop off a bag at the drop point, which uh, Killer Moth told him to, which I guess we're led to believe contains a note uh, that says that he's like refusing to pay and notifying them that he'll have police protection around his house so they can't come and get him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a, a little thing here where Robin says that uh, Alfred likes being part of their cases. Yeah. <laughs> Even though Bruce Wayne is basically just like, hey, take this thing somewhere. <laughs> He likes to be involved. Yeah, he likes to be a part of things. He likes to do more than make cucumber sandwiches. <laughs> In Moth Mansion, uh, flash over to Moth Mansion. I do not understand how he has a mansion. And what oh, he's is, a millionaire. What is he sitting on? He's a millionaire. Uh, webbing. That he, is so... He, he built that out of uh, spit or something. That is so gross. <laughs> it looks like it's... Steaming? I don't understand what's going yeah, on. Yeah, he's got like a weird throne of, of like webbing or cocoon or whatever. It's gross. That he's sitting on. Um, I guess it's also worth noting what his costume looks like. He's got this big green helmet that has antenna on it. And a, Fangs. a purple shirt that has like a moth symbol on it. And then like yellow and green striped tights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's quite a look. It is. And for a while, his, his henchmen are dressed almost exactly as he is, except he's wearing a cape. Yeah, the only so, difference is that he's wearing like an orange cape. For a while, we were reading this comic, we were like, which one is Mothman? Which yeah. one is Killer Moth? The only way you can tell them apart is by looking for which one has the cape. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. In Moth Mansion. Uh... <laughs> How much does a mansion cost? Less than a million dollars? Yeah, it must. All right. All right. Uh, he tells, Killer Moth tells his henchman. How did he buy it? Who, what real estate agent? <laughs> is selling is real estate like to a man in a moth costume. A man in a moth costume paying it with cash. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> I have a lot of questions about this, about this real estate exchange. Uh, I don't know. That is a good question. Gotham's corrupt. <laughs> Hey, well, he paid cash. <laughs> his credit was good. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, his henchmen. His henchmen. He tells his henchmen. His henchmen are named Larva and Pupa. I love that. <laughs> uh, to stake out Wayne Mansion for a time to strike. Uh, look for, like, you know, breaches in security or whatever. See, see when the police aren't around. Yeah. 
Um, over the th- over three days, the henchmen find that there are no cops and decide to strike. They're like, he's bluffing about, about being surrounded by cops. Um, we're also shown that over these three days, Barbara is improving her Batgirl costume and keeping herself in fighting shape. Yeah. Thanks to her quote-unquote special protein diet and quote-unquote intensive exercise. Barbara's on keto. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, see, I saw special protein diet and I thought something completely different. I know we're a family podcast. Ew. (laughs) Joshua. That's disgusting. No, she means like chicken. And I don't know. She probably doesn't eat red meat. Plus intensive exercise. Yeah. Uh, No, she's on keto. She doesn't eat any carbs. Okay. You can tell. Just look at her. Look at those thighs. <laughs> That's true. Also, she's got like Princess Leia buttons going on. I love that. Mm-hmm. This was before Star Wars, too. Yeah. Look at um, her trend setting. <laughs> uh, however, she still must do her duties as a librarian, which includes delivering the rare uh, Bay Psalm book to Bruce Wayne. She remarks, it's too valuable to leave lying about. But she also, like, got it in the mail. We see her pull it out of a package. Yeah. So she, it must have been mailed to her. Yeah. Why can't she just mail it to him? Uh, it's too valuable. Okay. Come over here. I did some math. <laughs> Becca did some math. Um, so there's a little editor's <laughs> note that says, In 1947, a perfect copy of this book uh, brought $151,000 at auction, the third highest price ever paid for a book up to that time. I feel like the highest price now is probably like Action Comics number one. I don't know. I haven't looked that up. But I feel like those are among the most for expensive For a singular books. book? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, th- I would think it would be more than just Action Comics. I think it would be something similar to this where it's like a an artifact. Yeah. Like, like a very old book from like the early civilization. The last remaining book from the Library of Alexandria. Yeah, something like that. Um, so I did some math. $151,000 in 1947. Uh, just thinking about inflation, not even factoring its value increasing over time. So that book would be worth $1.7 million today. Quite a lot. That is quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Now, so she, she takes this book to Bruce Wayne's manor. Uh, as she approaches the manor, she hears a gunshot and finds that Bruce Wayne has been murdered by Killer Moth. Well, obviously. Uh. I had a weird, there's a weird thing in this panel. I don't know if you're about to mention it. In, in what? The panel where he gets murdered? In this one. No, I didn't, I didn't. Um, it says... Keep reading for the unexpected developments that are soon to shake Batgirl down to her pretty toes. Oh, that's right. You know what? <laughs> he just hated it. I did see that and I didn't mention it, but I probably should have because that is a weird phrase. This is so gross. Ugh. Down to her pretty toes. Get out of here. I can't. <laughs> Get your foot fetish out of my Batman <laughs> comic. Could you imagine if, like, the Wicked Witch of the West had said something like that? I'll get you down to your pretty too. Oh, my God. <laughs> really? Well, I mean, that, the Wizard of Oz is a lot of, has a lot to do with shoes. Mm. There's a whole lot about, you know, yeah. gotta get those perfect heels. So there's a little element of foot fetishism in that one, too. <laughs> Anywho, shoe fetishism, maybe. Do you want to talk about that instead of the Batman comic? No, 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 we can talk about the comic. Okay. <laughs> Uh, That's what we call an interlude. Again, swiftly jumping into action, uh, Barbara modifies her outfit that she's wearing into that of Batgirls. Yeah, it's reversible. Yeah, she she like flips down her beret, which becomes a cowl. She takes off her skirt, which becomes her uh, 
her cape. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pulls bursts, her boots up. Yep, bursts through the window. I thought this one worked a lot better than the one that we saw in the the last Barbara comic. The one that actually happens canonically after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, they like kind of lost the, the plot on like how her reversible costume works. This one I thought was like... Made sense. Made tons of sense. They set it up in like the panels before. I could like see how it all came together. It was beautiful. Oh, except, except... Um, <laughs> The reversible purse. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, that turns into a belt? It turns into a utility belt. Yeah. I think maybe she was just keeping the utility belt in her purse. I know it says it's reversible, but she also has a purse that's like connected to the utility belt later on. So I feel like her purse was just like a purse that turned into a utility belt because there was a utility belt in the purse. You can't really see her purse in any of these panels. I thought it was this blue thing at first, but that's the package that she's delivering. Yeah, that's the book. So I don't know, maybe it, maybe it's like one of those. You, you remember a couple of years ago when like fanny packs came back into fashion, but you could like wore them like slung over your shoulder. Maybe it was like that. Oh, okay. Maybe it was one of those fashionable fanny packs. Oh, and, and she, she just like tightened it up or whatever. Yeah, she just like reversed it and it's like now it's a utility bill. Oh, interesting. Maybe that's, that's an interesting theory. Barbara saw all the way into the, into 2018 fashion and was like, yes, fanny packs. They're gonna come and then go away and then come back. I'll be the first to make them cool. <laughs> Uh, she bursts through the window, lunging at Killer Moth and throwing a lamp at his henchman. She then... <laughs> Very on brand for yeah, fighting a moth. Exactly. Yeah. Love moths it. love lamps. Moths right? love lamps. Uh, she knocks the, the henchman's head together, quipping that it's not the first time they've fallen for a woman, or it's probably not the first time they've fallen for a woman. <laughs> uh, and then in the next panel, it says, hiding in the dark shadows of the room... I, I asked Becca if she could figure out, like, where they actually were, because it doesn't look like a closet. It looks like they're behind drapes or something. Yeah. Um, Hard to tell. Which is weird, because you'd think that the, the Killer Moth's men would see them if they were just behind a couple of curtains. I mean, it's a pretty big house. Maybe it's, like, I don't know, curtains that lead to, like, Another an alcove they don't know about. Uh, yeah. Maybe. I love this panel, because um, Dick like completely roasts Barbara for her puns. Yeah, he's calling the kettle black though. Cuz yeah. he's he has a ton of terrible puns and he yeah. says that like, "Oh, she's she's making terrible puns." <laughs> I also love the setup for this cuz it's setting up something that you and I talked about the other day, completely unrelated, um about Batman and Bruce being in the same place at the same time cuz like just how like preposterous it is that people don't realize that Bruce Wayne is Batman uh-huh. except for like there must have been times throughout history that he's been like, no, look, there's Batman, and I'm down here. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> I couldn't be him. But it's always just like Alfred standing on like a roof or whatever. <laughs> but this is another one of those times that he can be like, no, see, that's Bruce Wayne. I am Batman. <laughs> At least for Killer Moth. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, the, yeah, uh, dynamic duo down the henchmen that get sent their way as, as Barbara's fighting them as Batgirl's fighting them she throws them into the direction of Batman and Robin they like knock them down but then Batgirl gets thrown in their direction and they grab her and like silence her uh, which prompts Mothman to believe that she's been knocked out and then they make their getaway mm-hmm. and uh, Batgirl chastises Batman and Robin for allowing the criminals to get away but the two revealed the plan was to allow them to escape all along and follow them to find their hideout. Mm, she ruined it. The The Bruce Wayne that they had is just a lifelike dummy. Mm-hmm. Which 
my question was to you was going to be like, how did the Mothman not realize that it was a dummy? Like, you think they came in with a gun and they were like, you're never gonna, you're never gonna get away with this Bruce Wayne. And he was just completely silent. And they, and they were like, he's not talking. We'll, we'll shoot him. Or was he like turned around and Batman threw his voice? Cause we know we can do that. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. They... It's just weird to me that like they would they would not realize that it was a dummy because they must have talked to him before that. Maybe he like set up and we didn't see this in the set dressing. Like, I don't know, a bunch of like empty glasses and like an empty bottle. So they're like, oh. ah, he's drunk. Oh, so they think we'll he, kill him now. He like he, he's like thinks he's knocked out or something. Maybe, yeah. maybe. They don't actually show... There's no, like, blood or anything when she first sees him, right? He's just... No, he's just, like, slumped down on the table after being shot. Yeah. Which, again, that would be another tip-off to them that, like, it's not a real person if it doesn't bleed. Maybe. (laughs) Um, Robin assures her that she hasn't actually uh, spoiled everything since Robin was able to plant a magnetic tracking device to the Mothmobile so they can track him as he runs away. Uh, she offers to tag along, but Batman rebuffs her, claiming that they can't let themselves worry about a girl. That's so... Uh, sexual politics of the 1960s. Mm-hmm. It makes me so mad. Um, the next panel calls her the Raging Young Tigress and pulls out a bat-themed motorcycle from the trunk of her car. Wait, I think I figured out the purse thing. Oh? Because you can kind of see her purse is, like, dangling off the utility belt. Yeah. Maybe it was just, like, she, like, pulls it out of the purse, and then it gets, like, she's got the purse on her hip, and then also the utility That's belt. That's literally what I said, is that is the it? belt was in the purse. Well, but it's then also attached to it. Oh, well, maybe. Because then it's not reversible. It's bad writing, Gardner Fox. I demand an apology. <laughs> Stop demanding apologies from dead comic writers. I need them to apologize. I'm angry about it 50 years later. <laughs> 70 years later, however long. Uh, yeah, it, also, interesting here, she pulls this motorcycle out of her car's trunk. Big trunk. Big trunk. You can fit a motorcycle in it? Yeah. I've tried to fit a bicycle in the back of my car, it and I have a worse. lot of trunk space, and it doesn't fit. No. <laughs> you need to, like, put down the back seats and everything. It's one of those, like, foldable motorbikes. <laughs> it's like a Razor scooter, but a motorbike. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, when, when Batman and Robin arrive at the, uh, Moth Mansion, uh, Robin delivers his own bad pun. Yeah, this is awful. If you want to read it for me. <laughs> so Batman says, let's get, that us that killer moth with a few choice punches. And Robin says, it'll be a pleasure, I moth say. Really bad. Really bad. Really, really bad. I liked, I almost made a pun on this next one. Oh, yeah. Because the next panel shows Killer Moth. Uh, He sees them approaching and he says, I'm ready for them with a taste of moth hospitality. Really missed opportunity to call it mothspitality. Uh, It doesn't really flow off the tongue. It does. (laughs) Mothspitality. Killer Moth sees them enter. Uh, like you just said, and turns on an anti-gravity chamber, which suspends the duo in the air. They had too many fizzy lifting drinks. Uh, Robin says that if they stay up there, they'll be like ducks in a barrel, which is like, Dick, the the phrase is fish in a barrel. Mm -hmm. It's not ducks in a barrel. Sitting ducks and fish in a barrel. He kind of married the two together. Oh, that's true. What is that called? It's like a portmanteau of idioms. That's like, there's a name for that. 
Yeah, it's called a malaphore when you mix two idioms or aphorisms together. It's not quite a malaprop, which is when you like misuse a word. Like if you were to say like, oh, yeah, I'm great at geometry. I know where every country is. Uh That's a malaprop. And it's also not quite a mixed metaphor. But uh, some that I really enjoy are that's the way the cookie bounces. I I really like we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. We'll burn that bridge when we get to it. I feel like you do say that a lot. (laughs) And I feel like that is kind of like how things really do happen in reality a lot of the time. (laughs) Um, Some others that I found are uh, you hit the nail right on the nose. Uh, We could stand here and talk until the cows turn blue. (laughs) That's That's great. Yeah. So Malifors, put them in your conversations. They're fun. They are fun. Uh, Yeah. So uh, Barbara is hot on their heels. She sees them and tells them to stay put while she gra- she goes and grabs the magnetic tracker, uh, which she then uses, she like ties it to her boot and uses to secure herself to the floor so she can pull the duo out of the anti-gravity field, which I also want to point out is not a real thing. Uh, NASA does not have anti-gravity fields that they use, like yeah. Batman claims. I was curious about that, because I was like, wouldn't that be... Like, if it, he took out the gravity, wouldn't he, like, not be able to, like, breathe? No. Because oxygen. That's not what gravity is. The way that they are able to train in, like, like zero-G is... Don't they do that thing where they, like, take a plane up really high and they, like, yeah. drive it? Yeah, basically the only way that you can achieve, like, zero gravity for a small amount of time is to like drop something so nasa has like big pits where they'll drop experiments where it can like give it weightlessness for a few seconds as it falls and they like they do the same thing that you said with like an airplane where they'll fly a plane up really really high and then they'll drop the plane so that you match the speed of like falling to the ground yeah which is kind of like zero g yeah okay go did that for a video one that's true yeah that's a really cool video um, but they don't have like a chamber where they can just turn gravity off. No. That's not a thing that they can do. <laughs> Unreal. Uh, I know they train in like pools too, because the buoyancy of the pool makes it feel like you're in like a low gravity environment. Yeah. I feel like it's not also super necessary for astronauts to like get used to that feeling of weightlessness here on earth. Cause like they'll get used to it. I feel like it's more important to train them on like, what's it going to feel like when you're like blasting off on the rocket. Oh, the multiple G's where yeah. they strap them into that thing, the like centrifuge or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, that like, immediately turned me off from wanting to be an astronaut as a child. Like in Mission like, Space. <laughs> I do not want that. Although I do like that ride. <laughs> yep. In Mission Space and Disney World. Yeah. Okay. Always go on the orange side. Don't be a baby. <laughs> I was going to say something worse. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she goes in, she saves the dynamic duo, and she also gets called the dynamic dare doll. Or yeah. no, sorry, the domino dare doll in, these, in this panel. Um, and after they fight through the goons, the trio make their way to the Moth Master Control Room, where Killer Moth should be, but is not. Mm-hmm. Um, Batgirl says that she can find him, though, and finds him hiding behind a wall panel, and he's aiming a gun right at them! Uh, no matter, though, because Batman knocks Killer Moth out with a swift punch, and explains to Robin, because Robin's like, how did he find? How did she find him? Mm-hmm. Uh, he explains to Robin that, uh, she smelled for her perfume that she got on him when she was fighting with him earlier. (laughs) Which is both, like, kind of a nod to, like, the pheromones that bugs give off. Mm. But also, um, she, she proves herself capable in a very girly way, which is something that we see over and over again in, like, 
in media of like women being like, I'm extremely capable, but it's in a very feminine way. <laughs> like uh, Elle Woods comes to mind, like the climactic scene in Legally Blonde, where she's able to find the murderer by discovering that this girl couldn't have gotten a perm on the day her father was murdered because she, she said that she took a shower, but her hair is still curly, but you can't get your hair wet 24 hours after a perm, <laughs> um, which is odd. I don't know. It kind of is like, let me be capable, but also reinforce my... Like feminine standards. Uh, yeah, uh, it was interesting. Uh, also, though, my question is like, if she's wearing the perfume, wouldn't she become nose blind to it? Maybe. I mean, maybe she maybe she rinsed it off when she was on her motorcycle. Or maybe she like sprayed a little bit extra on him to try and track him. I don't know. There's another thing earlier in the comic when she's following them on her motorcycle that I'm not quite sure how she knows where to drive. Yeah, the lights. It says, like, her lights tell her which way to go, but it doesn't explain any further than that. Yeah. Uh, there's a few things that go unexplained in this comic. It says, while on the Batbike, multicolor lights flare and dim, indicating to the masked maiden what road to follow in her secret pursuit. Maybe she's is she, she's just, like, tracking the Batmobile? The tire tracks, maybe? Oh, who knows? Maybe. Who, who knows? Who knows? Uh, so... In, in addition, though, Batman tells her that he actually didn't need her help. Like, he's like, I didn't need you to save me from the from the anti-gravity chamber because I could have used uh, a simple reaction physics to, like, push myself out with a laser or something. <laughs> Which is like, really, dude? You didn't have to tell her that, you know? He needs to be capable and get the last word. I guess so. Uh, and then, so we, we go into the final two panels with the extorted money returned, the three meet with Commissioner Gordon, where Batman welcomes Batgirl's aid. Um, and then also at home, Jim tells Barbara that he really wishes she was more like Batgirl. I, that would be so mad. I, I, I said a profanity in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> he is kind of mean. Like, what, what a weird thing to say to your daughter to be like, yeah, I wish you were more like the superheroine that I met just today. Yeah. She's got a PhD, Jim. Yeah, really. Librarian science. And she's also has brown belt in judo. And yeah. she graduated magna sum laude. Yeah. Summa cum laude. Summa cum laude. That's better what I mean. than mag- magna. That means that she got a 4-0 or higher. I knew somebody in college who graduated summa cum laude, and he was drunk every single day that I knew him. So I don't know how he was able to achieve that. But shout out to him for graduating. I graduated only magnum cum laude. But he graduated summa cum laude, which is higher than that. And I was like, damn, I guess that's just how your brain works. (laughs) Seriously, he was drunk every single day. All right. Anyway, congrats to him for getting through college only the way he could. Yeah. Do we have anything else to say about the comic? I didn't put together a moral of the story. Oh, shoot. I didn't either. All right. Moral of the story, wear perfume, rub it on people, then you'll always know where they are. Mark people with your scent. Mark people with your pheromones. Don't listen when somebody tells you not to follow them. Yeah. If they're going there, it can't be that dangerous. It can't be that bad, no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, always be editing that costume because it can always improve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so do you want to move into Bat Family Matters? Yes. This is like our Rogue Roundup, but it's for the heroes, the members of the Bat Family. Um, I'm going to talk about Barbara Gordon, who is Batgirl number two. Um, so... She has a pretty interesting history. Uh, This was her first comic, so we went over her first appearance. But she was actually the brainchild of William Dozier, uh, who's the guy who's in charge of the 1966 television show, Mm -hmm. and Julius Schwartz, who was the editor for the Batman titles at the time. Um, 
And William Dozier wanted to bring in more female viewers to the Batman television show. And uh, Julia Schwartz wanted to bring in a less sillier character than Batgirl number one was. Um, And just for like a brief recap, Batgirl number one was the niece of Batwoman. And she was more like a female version of Robin. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Dozier's idea was that she would be the daughter of Commissioner Gordon. So we could have him to thank for that part of her backstory. Um, And she joined in the show's third season, uh, in the first episode of the third season, which I believe is called uh, Enter Batgirl, Exit Penguin, Mm -hmm. uh, which we watched today. Yes, we did. Uh, Along with the uh, pilot that we watched that was never aired, uh, that seven and a half minute thing we were talking about earlier that had some of the same plot beats as the comic that we just read, where Killer Moth was, was a main character, Batman and Robin get tied up by like his goons, and she ends up saving them. So that was an unaired like pilot for the series? For I think it was for adding her to the series. Okay. I think it might have been like a pitch to the to the ABC execs that uh, like, you know, we should add this character to yeah. the series. Almost like a screen test for the actress. Kinda like, yeah, I think so. That's weird that they would like script and then film like a whole like seven minute yeah. sequence and yeah. then just be like, Oh, but we're not gonna use it in the actual <laughs> debut. Um she was portrayed by Yvonne Craig in in the uh, 1966 television series. Um, and Who I, doesn't have red hair. <laughs> but where's a wig? Uh, so, yeah, that's something actually interesting. She, is, she has black hair in the, in the television show, and she has naturally red hair in the comic. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the comic and the television series episode came out in the same year. Like, because they were co-created... Um, so like this comic was dated January and the television series episode, I think came out in like November or something. Mm -hmm. Um, the fan reaction to Barbara's inclusion in the comics was overwhelmingly positive. Uh, and DC even like patted themselves on the back in an open letter in an, in one of the uh, detective comics in 1971 for including a strong female figure in Batman stories. Yeah, a strong female figure who at every turn, they're like, you didn't help us. We didn't need you. <laughs> Get out of here. You're a girl. Well, Gross. Because she was so popular, she, she showed up in um, like so many other uh, DC titles. So she showed up in um, like... Uh, detective comics she showed in superman comics she showed up in brave and the bold she showed up in world's finest she showed up in like all the dc titles that she could Mm -hmm. basically because she was so popular um and like i said like they they basically were patting themselves on the back in this open letter where they were like yeah well you know batman usually we thought he needed a romantic interest but we figured we'd put in a, a a a capable woman um thanks to a forward looking editor uh, she's often lauded as a symbol of feminism uh, because she's independently motivated and she has a non-romantic interest in, uh, or she has a non-romantic connection to Batman mostly, most of the yeah. time. Sometimes she does, but that's only in like more modern stuff. Yeah. I more so ship her with Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. I think they're so cute together. Uh, she, yeah, she was in the JLA comics. Oh, in action comics. Uh, in the mid-70s, she realized the system wasn't working after a previous love interest was released on parole, and she was at his parole hearing. 
um, and he had not reformed, reverting back to a life of crime. Oh, no. So because she realized the system... She lives in Gotham. Should she realize that's the cycle? Because she realized the system didn't work, she decided to become a congresswoman and during this period revealed her identity to her father, mm-hmm. which I think had already worked it out, though, at that point. Yeah. Um, and uh, goes to become a congresswoman, becomes elected, uh, and works in D.C., and uh, continues her work as Batgirl in D.C., uh, you know, fighting crime that happens in, in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, after failing to win re-election, she returns to Gotham and continues to fight crime. Up until 1984-85, when Crisis on Infinite Earths happens, and we get a reboot in the continuity Uh, She gets retconned into being the daughter of Jim Gordon's brother. So Commissioner Gordon's brother, Roger, uh, dies in a car accident along with his wife. And Jim takes Barbara in at the age of 13 and uh, soon adopts her. So she becomes his adopted daughter. Um, Then, not long after, she plays a role in 1988's comic The Killing Joke where Joker paralyzes her by shooting her through the spine, along with taking naked photos of her in an attempt to turn Jim Gordon crazy to prove that anyone can go insane from one bad day. This is something he's trying to prove to Batman. Mm -hmm. Um, He's trying to break Jim Gordon so he uh, ruins her... Uh, strips Jim Gordon down and forces him to like look at these awful photos of her uh, all around a really gross comic. Um, it's it holds this interesting point in the Batman continuity uh, because it's a big change for her because she became paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan Moore, the writer of the Killing Joke, has expressed remorse for crippling her. Um, he called it a shallow and ill-conceived concept. Uh, Though in his defense, DC had seemingly planned to retire the character anyway. Uh, They hired another writer to set her up for the things that were going to happen in The Killing Joke. Um, And (laughs) the editor that Moore contacted to make sure that it was okay to cripple her, um, after speaking with the executive editor at DC Comics, (laughs) told Moore to... Quote unquote, cripple the b- uh, <laughs> when asked for permission. So there you go. From the very top of DC, very cold. Very horrible, honestly. And like, yeah, The Killing Joke is a pretty disgusting comic from the perspective of like what happens to Barbara and like how she is used. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to get into a very long conversation about women in refrigerators because you and I have had this conversation a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Plus, we're also running like an hour 10 right now we and we should probably yes. finish up Barbara Gordon. This won't be our women in refrigerators uh, debate episode, but, <laughs> but that one's coming. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think this is just the most like emblematic, like disgusting show of like, hey, let's like ruin this female character who's been popular for decades in order to like show like the strength. Of like, oh, but like Batman overcame it and so did Jim Gordon because they're, you know, mentally stronger than the Joker is. And that's why he's the villain. Yeah. And like the Kelly Joke makes a lot of like interesting points. And it is overall like a very like emblematic, very cool comic in the continuity. But I really wish it had been kept as like an Elseworlds tale like it was originally intended to be. That's true. Yeah. Um, 
So writer Kim Yale and her husband, John Ostrander, who was also a comic book writer, were devastated by the events that happened in The Killing Joke, and they vowed to bring back Barbara Gordon, so they revived her character. I put revived in quotes because she never died. She Mm -hmm. was just crippled. Um, as the character Oracle. Um, And Oracle becomes, uh, Barbara as Oracle becomes an expert hacker. Um, Because this was, you know, late 80s. She, this is right around the time that computers are starting to become more popular, security systems, that that sort of stuff. Um, So she, along with her other skills, uh, her genius intellect, uh, she improves her upper body strength. She becomes sort of a information, uh, point conduit she's the man in the chair yeah pretty Mm -hmm. much um she she began by feeding info to task force x she becomes a member of the all-female superhero squad the birds of prey and uh becomes an informant for the batman family uh so she you know again she feeds batman and robin and nightwing uh you know information there's something I didn't touch on uh, earlier in this is that uh, she has some like romantic interest in Dick Grayson Robin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started towards the end of the Silver Age and uh, more in the Bronze Age. They would get together and fight together and they were kind of flirtatious when they were fighting together. But then she got like a bunch of other boyfriends. It's true. Yeah, she does. She does have multiple love interests over mm-hmm. the course of like her history. Yeah. Honestly, Barb, get it. Yeah, really. It's good for her. Yeah. Exploring the dating world. Congresswoman. Not attached to one man. <laughs> broke, her, broke her spine and then got it fixed somehow. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to get to. Uh, so, like, she stays Oracle uh, in, in Paralyzed in a Wheelchair up until the New 52 continuity. When they reset the New 52 continuity in 2011. 2011. Um, she... With my girl Gail Simone, bah, 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 bah. she she is uh, restored to her Batgirl status, um, which gained simultaneous praise and also some outcry mm. that disabled representation had been removed from the comics. Yeah, because for up until that point, I mean, from eighty eight up until uh, twenty eleven, she had been like a a, a wheelchair bound superhero. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, there was so there's a lot of like discourse that I read about this, um, a lot of voices on each side. And I think both of them have their fair points. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the whole idea that Barbara wouldn't be fixed in a fictional universe. Well, I shouldn't say fixed. The the whole idea that Barbara wouldn't be healed. um, Regain the use of regain the use of her limbs um, in this universe is ridiculous. (laughs) You know, Batman famously had his back broken and he's fine he didn't miss a day of work (laughs) um i i read something about how like batman has stem cell knowledge that far exceeds anything that we have in the real world i mean we're also talking about a universe where they can like clone superman and stuff yeah so medical science has has extended like well beyond what real world science has Mm -hmm. Uh, even if it's super expensive she's friends with bruce wayne billionaire (laughs) yeah um and there there's actually uh, an attempt to return her to her original concept 
um, earlier than this with um, artist Alex Ross and Paul Dini wanted to uh, put her in a Lazarus pit, uh, which we know from the Rachel Ghoul storylines, those can bring a person back to life. But that was going to be an effect of like, you know, rejuvenating her and getting her spine fixed. Um, and they pitched it with this interesting like red costume design to invoke that, you know, she'd become like more compromised as a character, almost like, you know, when Red Hood came out of the Lazarus pits, he was like a little Yeah, little every time you use a Lazarus pit, it makes you lose sort of some of your mental faculty or it drives you a little more insane. Yeah. Um, so it was shot down by uh, then Batman editor Denny O'Neill. Um, and that costume design was eventually introduced in New 52. It's what Kate Kane wears. Oh, It's like a, a version of that Bat batgirl as uh that was her batwoman costume is that kind of like red batman variant oh that's very interesting yeah so that's cool it, it looks good on kate it does yeah um so on the side of keeping her in the wheelchair as oracle obviously it does say a lot to representation mm-hmm. however you know it is kind of that argument of like you could always just like write a character He's yeah. been, like, paralyzed from birth or, like, a character who's had, like, a different accident happen to them. It doesn't have to be this, like, no, Barbara has to stay paralyzed. You can always write a new character and, you know, make them cool and badass and either make them the person in the chair or, to your point, you know, have them go out and fight crime. Because Barbara, you know, she can train her upper arm. She can throw batarangs and kick ass without the use of her legs. There's no reason why you can't create another superhero who's like that. Um, except that you'd probably have legions of fanboys on the internet being like, ah, forced diversity. Blah. Well, I think it's more than that, though. Because we you run into the same thing when they talk about, you know, changing whatever superhero it is to a different race. Yeah. Uh, where, you know... Which they haven't ever done. It's not like... It's, it's not like Steve Rogers woke up black. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> that's true. Usually it's a mantle that gets p- passed yeah. down. But I think the argument is always like, why can't you just make a new character? I mean, comics has so many characters already. What hurt, what harm is going to be another one? It's just like the, the fact that the publishers want to hold on to that name recognition. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, she's Batgirl and she's got to be Batgirl. She, it's Barbara Gordon. Everybody knows the name Barbara Gordon because everybody watched the 1966 television show mm-hmm. or the, the movie. Actually, I didn't write anything about the movie in my notes. Well, I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> I looked up a little bit so we can, we can get to that. Okay. Um, yeah, but that's like, you know, it's... It's this weird balancing act where they have to play where they're like, if they want to make the cast more diverse, they want to keep the name recognition because that's what sells people. And they also like don't want to accept or uh, upset existing fans by, you know, quote unquote, changing what the person is, mm-hmm. you know? So there's... You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Exactly. So whatever, exactly. whatever your feelings are, whether you wish she had stayed as Oracle or if you're happy that she um, went back to being Batgirl, your feelings are valid. Yeah, both it's, sides have salient points. Yeah. So Barbara has showed up a couple other times in... Salient? 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 I think salient. Okay. Both are good. Um, <laughs> Barbara showed up a couple more times in uh, live action, in television and movies. Um, really the only movie movie that she has been in, in like the main line Batman universe, uh, was Batman and Robin, um, mm-hmm. where she was played by Alicia Silverstone of uh, Clueless fame. 
Great movie. Um, and here she is not Barbara Gordon. She is still named Barbara, last name Wilson. And she's not related to James Gordon at all. She's actually Alfred's niece. Um, her parents died in a car accident, which is actually something that we see in the comics when she is uh, Jim Gordon's niece. Mm-hmm. And Alfred, her uncle, was very close to her mother. Um Silverstone was apparently the first and only choice for the role, which is great. And I mean, the movie's like, meh. And her acting in it is like, meh. But, you know, it's kind of cool to see them in that shot where they're all running towards the camera. Looks (laughs) looks good, all three of them together. I'm mad she's not a redhead, but... That movie was made to sell merchandise. That's what that movie was made to do. I think her costume is actually the only one that doesn't have bad nipples on it, which is good. (laughs) Um, she's also showed up a couple times in television. Obviously, she was created for television. Mm-hmm. Um, she she's in the animated series, mm-hmm. definitely. She's, she's she in shows two thousand two Birds of Prey television series. Oh, um, but she's not in the Birds of Prey movie, which I was kind of mad about because she's a founding member of the Birds of Prey. That's true. I wish she had been. I mean, there's like the first Suicide Squad movie didn't have like all the people who were in the very first Suicide Squad either. Who would be your like dream casting in of Birds of Prey uh, with Barbara as Oracle? I mean, isn't Black Canary is part of the Birds of Prey too, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would have to have Black Canary. No, who would you cast as Barbara as what I'm asking? Oh, who would I cast? Yeah. Like, if, which actress? If she had been in that Birds of Prey movie, who would you cast? You don't, you know that I don't know very much about actors and actresses. I would cast Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan? That would be a great comeback for her. Would you, okay, here's, here's a better question. Have her not only be in a wheelchair, but also addicted to painkillers. And I think Lindsay could knock that out of the park. <laughs> here's a better question. Would you cast her as a young Barbara Gordon or as a older Barbara Gordon? Um, like 28. Okay. Okay. So old, I guess older then, like yeah. well after she's Oracle. She had a good decade as, as Batgirl mm. and she's been in the Oracle chair for like, mm, Five years? Uh, I, I'm going to say like 14 months. So like, it's not new but she's still angry getting, about getting it. Getting used to it. She's, there, there, there would be a scene where like somebody like walks into her little den and she's got like a closet open and in there is all these like plans for how she's going to kill the Joker and she like slams it shut really fast and she's like, no. And they're like, you really need to get over that, Babs. <laughs> and she's like, don't tell me what to do. My Babs would be extremely dark. DC, get at me. I can write you your grim, dark Birds of Prey movie with Barbara Gordon Nobody starring wants more dark. Nobody wants more dark DC movies. Um, HBO Max does. That's we, why they're giving Zack Snyder all this money to remake a movie he already done made. We have too much dark DC stuff already. They are making a Teen Titans. Not Teen Titans. They're making a Titans season three. People want the grim, dark. Speaking of Titans season three, not only have they cast... Tim Drake, they've also cast a Barbara Gordon. She's going to be played by uh, Savannah Welch in the third season of Titans. And she will actually be the commissioner of the Gotham City Police. So I guess she won't actually be Batgirl. Hmm. Which means all my my Dick and Barbara fantasies will go out the window. (laughs) He's very much like kind of off and on with Corey in this show. Which I guess is why they don't want to like introduce like a Barbara Dick love interest although they'll probably do a flashback to like but one time they were dating they do that a lot they're like here's this new female character guess what she and robin have had sex (laughs) honest i was watching the show a couple days ago and i was like they could really like clip through this plot if they didn't have to stop every five minutes so somebody could have sex with robin that's really like a core (laughs) thing that happens in like just about every episode okay it's very upsetting um 
The other thing that I did want to mention is that she also appears in the 2017 Lego Batman movie, and she is voiced by a girlfriend of our senator, uh, Rosario Dawson. Oh. Yes. Okay. So congrats to Rosario. Interesting. <laughs> she plays Batgirl. There's so many connections between the Batman universe and the Senate. Right? I love it. <laughs> Honestly, Rosario Dawson for senator. Uh, so some... Uh, what is it? A universe, that, uh, like an appearance of her that you didn't cover that I think is interesting is uh, when she shows up in the animated series, she also shows up later in the uh, the Batman Beyond canon mm. where she regains use of her legs. Yeah. She regains use of her legs <laughs> via bionics. Speaking of Barbara's sexual history. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she regains the use of her legs via like bionics. That's very cool. Uh, and she becomes a new police commissioner taking her father's place. And it's also implied that she had a uh, sexual relationship with Batman, Mm -hmm. uh, which I do believe, though, in the episode that she, like, mentions it, she kind of alludes to it being, like, a mistake. Like, like, mixing business and pleasure, it not be, like, working out very well. Yeah. He's, like, much older than her. Especially in most canons, it's like, oh, Bruce Wayne, my dad's friend. Yeah. (laughs) It's so weird. He's always, like, perpetually, like, mid to late 30s and she's like somewhere between like 22 and 25 yeah that's a bit bit much it's really weird you got anything else on Batgirl I don't think so that's all I wrote down all right awesome this is a (laughs) packed episode it was a packed episode. if you listen the whole way through thank you congratulations you've unlocked the secret ending (laughs) (laughs) we'll now announce the next 50 appearances of Batgirl in the DC canon Um, All right. Thank you for listening to Batmates. Um, Again, you can email us at batmatespodcast at gmail.com. Please reach out. Give us your feedback. Tell us what you want to hear about this podcast. Uh, We hope you're enjoying listening to it. Um, Our theme song was composed by Ben Dean. You can find him at tinyurl.com slash B-E-N-D-E-A-N-E. And our logo was created by Savannah Storm. You can find her at art.by.savvyes on Instagram.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Goodbye, everybody.